Athletes take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Hey, I want to thank you all for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. We've seen a huge increase in our numbers, so welcome all you new listeners. It's glad, glad to have you here. For more resources, check out our website, addicttoathlete.org. You'll find all kinds of resources, our backlog podcast, free free input for you to come jump on and, and uh, download things that are going to help you overcome addiction, mental health challenges, and basic information. Uh, share this podcast with anyone who might be struggling. So, athletes today, I'm excited to have a, a, a guest on here that has been uh, aware of Team Addict Athlete for quite a while now, but we are excited to have him on here specifically to get some some insight on the medical side of addiction, the things that are happening out there that will help people maybe do some uh, some alternate, I think, exploration on how to help addiction on a medical model. And today we're proud to talk with Dr. James Thompson, who's been in the field for about 13 plus years, specifically with addiction. And I'm looking forward to chatting with him specifically about some topics that I know will be uh, pretty influential in maybe making some choices on harm reduction, overcoming addiction and mental health through assisting uh, with a medical model. And and Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for being on here today. Would you mind sharing with the athletes a little bit about you and then we'll jump in? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a fan of your program and uh, talk about you as much as I can <laughs> and you. in organizations like yours uh, with my patients and with people in general. So glad to be here. So my story, uh, I, I'm a physician who trained in, in a completely different way uh, that compared to what I do in addiction medicine now. I, I, um, I live in Virginia and I've done all my medical training out here. Um, but I, uh, although I <clears throat> trained in critical care medicine, it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy to think I'm doing something so different. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had, uh, I had to face during my medical training. I had to face up to the, to the reality that I had a problem with drugs. Mm. Uh, I had a problem with, with addiction, and um, it was so hard for me to accept. But being a physician, there were a <clears throat> lot of people invested in me getting better, and thanks to them. I found my way to recovery. Wow! And uh, when I came back it, to work uh, and to finish my training, I realized that uh, over time that my calling was really in trying to make our approach to addiction treatment better. Mm. First, I had to learn all about it, and so yeah. Uh, after finishing uh, all my residency and 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 uh, post residency training. Uh, I began to work in a field that was wide open at that time. This is 2008, yeah. uh, 2009, and uh, there was no such thing really at that time as a career in addiction medicine. No, you're right. I had right. known doctors, right? Mm-hmm. I had known doctors who who worked in treatment centers because I had one, mm-hmm. and I was really inspired by her her uh, her story of recovery. She was in recovery herself and was willing to tell me that. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something like that, but no idea how mm-hmm. to how to how to find my way into such a career. So, <laughs> um, instead of the more traditional way that doctors find careers by doing specialized training programs, there were very very few at that oh, time. Oh yeah, just a, just a handful across the country, just maybe five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I decided I would just get out there. Um, offer my services however I could to whatever addiction treatment service existed in Central Virginia, found out that there was a lot going on and very few of them had a medical perspective mm-hmm. uh, as a part of their treatment program just because doctors were not interested at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so worked in, <clears throat> in all sorts of different places and uh, some some uh, nonprofit and government-run treatment programs, some high-end, posh residential treatment programs. Exactly. Even ended up working and being kind of an associate director at the place where I went to treatment, mm-hmm. um, which was really mind-blowing. I'll bet. Great. I'll bet it was. Yeah, it was. It was. And, um, and one of the things I discovered about myself, and I think recovery does this for a lot of people, it's sort of it opens you up to thinking in ways you, you have never thought before, or mm-hmm. at least um, helps you to discover things about yourself you maybe didn't know before Agreed. you found recovery. I, I realized that I had a, an, a thing for innovating 
and, and trying to make things better. And, um, and I, and I applied that to what I was seeing in addiction treatment. And my main takeaway was that addiction treatment was not as good as it, it needs to be. Thank you. Uh, part of that <clears throat> was, was just the doc, you know, doctors were not helping. Yeah. Uh, we're not interested. We're not involved. I had, I had a number of experiences in the big hospitals where I trained, uh, where patients would come in and, and flat out ask for help with alcohol, opiate use disorder, addiction. They're in withdrawal. They don't want to go back out. Yeah. And we couldn't help them. There was nothing we could do, <clears throat> despite billions of dollars of, re, of you know resources. We couldn't. We couldn't help them. How helpless did that um, make you feel? I mean, when when someone comes in like that terrible. early on, and they're like, "Hey, we need help with this," and they're like scratching your head, like, "Well." I know the yeah. mechanisms, you know, that, that it's causing, yeah. but I don't know how to help it, you know, become, there's no, there's no yeah, right. there's no, holy cow, how helpless. To help it was <clears throat> tough because I, I tried, you know, especially after I had been in treatment myself and was really eager to help. Uh, and, and it, it was like, um, it was just really like one man trying to change an entire system and just. I couldn't get anywhere. When you went through then, was it still the mindset that it's like, you know, it wasn't, I mean, 2008, it wasn't really mind over matter and it really wasn't still looked at as kind of like a, you know, a personality issue, but it was still based yeah. off of abstinence, right? I mean, like in order well, to overcome yeah. this, it's abstinence only, you can't be doing anything else. And so even that right, was probably right. a mind That's bender true. for you, correct? That's true. And, and to be, but to be completely honest with you, that was basically the way I looked at it at the yeah. time. Yeah, me too. As, me too. As a doctor, mm-hmm. yeah, too. as a doctor, that was there was no discussion about MAT in my treatment. No, that was just not a possibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, the place where I went for treatment, which was recommended by the the agency that monitors physicians here in Virginia, mm-hmm. was a, a traditional abstinence based twelve step program, like most ninety percent out there. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, ten. That's all there was. That's all we knew. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all. That's all. And, and I was uh, very much of the same, I assumed, hey, it, it helped me, and I've seen it help other people I know, and it's really been great for me, so I guess that's how it's done. Yeah. So, but what I was seeing in healthcare was, was even more discouraging. In the mainstream, it was, it was more of an attitude of maybe addiction's really a disease, maybe it's not, mm-hmm. but there's, it's not our problem. It's, it's a, it's a outside of medicine, it's something that's personal and you can go and find some personal solution good luck to you best wishes but not our not our thing you know and uh it was really sad it almost had the effect on other doctors to where we we if we had thought about it we would have to admit that addiction substance abuse was a big part of all the cases we saw every day from, from car accidents to uncontrolled diabetes to infectious issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, addiction was the primary illness or one of the primary illnesses underneath almost everything we saw, but we became we became a little bit callous. <clears throat> we almost tried not to see it because we felt like there was nothing we could do. Yeah. There's no way to take a person from emergency room or pri- a medical specialty clinic and plug them into some kind of addiction treatment, at least not in Virginia. Yeah. I've since learned that in other states there was a little bit of a better system at mm-hmm. that time, or it was coming together at that time. Yeah. But, but for the most of the United States, it was kind of like Virginia, where it was, it was sort of outside of medicine, outside of mainstream healthcare completely, not covered by insurance, um, no connection, no communication between your doctor, uh, your, you know, any, any person that you might go to for health-related things. And uh, and addiction treatment totally separate. So then, tell me this so, too, because in that yeah. mindset, doctors even back then they got a they got a bad rap, and a lot of them I believe were their their hearts were were, were geared towards helping. So you know you you've probably heard of or seen <clears throat> you know the uh, the Hulu you know dope sick right, and oh, that, yeah. that was yeah. a that was a big thing. I think that there was a lot of like um, mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of desire with doctors to try and help. But I do think yeah. they get a bad rap to the certain degree of like, it's not just their fault. They're using what was out there right. and available. But like you said, there was no other, there was no other training or understanding about the ramifications yeah. behind addiction either. And so I would imagine yeah. back East, you probably saw a lot of the opiate, uh, you know, the push and, and whatnot, 
But right oh, yes. now, too, like you said, that's not the only thing out there. You've still got alcoholism. No. You've still got the benzodiazepine kind of like push and things. Right. And so it's a, it's it kind of gets clouded by the opiates, but you're still seeing a ton of other issues addictive related, mm-hmm. correct? That's absolutely true. I, I, when I look, because I was, you know, I was right there in the middle of all of that. Yeah. I was in medical school from 2000 to 2004. <clears throat> And Purdue Pharma, uh, the, the papers that they were promoting, oh. it really got wrapped up into my, my medical education. We were very much uh, encouraged, pressured, um, whatever you want to call it, to be very aggressive in treating pain with opiates. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of the new way of thinking. And if you didn't, if you didn't join in, you were scorned. You were uh, heavily criticized. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there were not very many senior professors, although I know now that there were a lot who had misgivings. It was dangerous to speak up. It was, I would imagine. You were kind of shouted down, you know, ignored, called a fuddy-duddy. I yeah. had a few professors who pulled me aside at the time and said, you know, it, it's not like, it really shouldn't be like this. It wasn't like this in the past. It's not like this in other countries. This opiate thing that we're doing, you know, this is 2005, six, seven. Mm-hmm. This is not good. Uh, but for the most part, it was like, hey, look, this is the new way of looking at it. Do you want to be uh, right up to the, you know, on the ball and with modern times? Do you want to be an old, you know, yeah. jerk that nobody likes? And, and, and the truth is, when we were pushing, we, we were being so reckless with, with opiates, it was making a lot of people happy. It was making for sure. patients happy, unfortunately, you know, because mm-hmm. we didn't know better uh, or they did. And. They, but they weren't saying so at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was making our paymasters happy because it was bringing in patients and cranking out billings. And, and so, and we got good ratings from everybody. Everybody liked us. For sure. So field Your statistics so we went up. Started. Like we like these, this, this facility, this, this doctor, this, this mm-hmm. hospital. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I didn't and realize so that doctor. I had no idea that, that, right. th- that there was also the scorecard. And that there was this, mm-hmm. this this patient satisfaction type survey that would eventually go out and return. And if you had poor ratings, you probably yeah. weren't going to be employed very long. So you had to right, do it. I didn't. Right. I didn't know that. I found yeah. that out, and I thought, Marissa, yeah. that's a gut check right there. It had to be for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm. It's. Um, I forget. You know how how this is not as common knowledge as sometimes I think it is. But in 2002, when I was just beginning to do a lot of work in the hospital. JCO, which is a big accrediting yep. agency for hospitals, mm-hmm. decided that pain on a scale of one to ten, totally subjective, mm-hmm. was going to be the fifth vital sign. So oh, that you would shoot. you would check a person's heart rate, respiratory rate, <clears throat> temperature, blood pressure, and you would ask them, "What's your pain on What's a one to pain? ten scale?" Yeah. And so it became something you had to ask everybody every time you saw them, and um, and patients who didn't know what they were risking were you know. Saying, well, if I say seven, eight, I might get some more pain meds. Yeah. And so it really encouraged us to to try to find ex- excuses to prescribe. And but isn't that but the I addictive that, mindset, you know, that, right? I mean, like I say that all yeah, the time. I'm oh, like, yeah. I say that all the time. I'm like, you know, we go to we go to a pharmaceutical aisle at Walmart, and you're like, extra strength Tylenol mm-hmm. or just regular Tylenol. It's like, well, I want right. the extra strength stuff because I want it gone yeah, now, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you. It makes sense. Please yeah, continue. We, we, we try to find right. Our attitude is uh, we want a pill to fix it, and we mm-hmm. want it to be fixed just like that. No effort, just take a pill. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, there were a lot of things that went into that, that terrible, terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. There were some bad actors out there that the dope six story is true. It mm-hmm. happened here in Virginia, actually. Yeah. And, um, it, it, there were some real criminals out there and some were doctors who did bad, bad things yeah. and they did it for money. Yeah. And, uh, and there, some of them are paying a price mm-hmm. and, uh, more and more, um, but really, you're, you're right in your, 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 um, your analysis that it started with a misunderstanding of what addiction is. Mm-hmm. It got, it, and it still is kind of, our efforts are hampered by that basic misunderstanding. When, when the idea of, was promoted that prescribing opiates for people with pain would not hurt them, that there's mm-hmm. no risk. Uh, that's based that grew out of a misunderstanding of the risks of addiction, how real addiction is, how dangerous and devastating it can be. 
And we were pushing, completely ignoring that, didn't understand it, thought made, there was this basic assumption out there um, that it didn't happen to normal people. Mm-hmm. Addiction doesn't happen to good people. It just yeah. happens to people who are already bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so don't worry about them. They're bad and they deserve it. You know, Goodness. if they have pain and you overprescribe, they'll be okay if they're normal, good people. Um, wow. Only the only the outsiders and bad people will have a problem. That was kind of the unspoken I attitude. Hear you. I hear you. But you that's know? the thing. But that's the thing that makes me nervous, too. And I'll tell you why. When I was working in a county program here circa 2013, right, um, gabapentin came on the scene. And that was being prescribed hand over fist at my facility. And I'm like, wait a minute. I said, what's, what's the tendency here for abuse? And they're like, we tell you none. It is, there's no, there's none. But then my clients started coming with like, you know, 60 day prescription. They're like, Hey, my roommate stole all my gabapentin. And they're like, Oh, Hey, let's do it again. And then a week later, like, believe it or not, he did it again. And I'm like, doctor, I'm like, bull crap. Threw it away. Yeah. He's lying. (laughs) And they're like, no, no. And the thing is, is I'm like, uh, how, how aware, doctor, do we have to be on like those kind of promises? Because they were saying that mm-hmm. it was you know, like, and then all of a sudden I'm hearing now, gabapentin gets prescribed for, for darn near everything now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait a second, yeah. you know, like how aware mm-hmm. does the person need to be? How aware do us, like the therapists that help w- work with the mm-hmm. doctors need to be kind of in tune? Because like you said, there is no magic cure. But also there's, no. there's this increase of like pain, you know, like, like, like pain reduction, but also like, um, you know, no. harm reduction. And I'm like, mm-hmm. who that's got to be a fine line. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on, on, on the harm reduction theory, too, because sure, yeah. that's a big word right now. Yeah, yeah. And it is a, it's a real dilemma. It kind of picks up. My story picks up right on that topic because mm-hmm. as I as I worked towards board certification in the field and mm-hmm. I started to meet the mainstream addiction treatment teachers, professors, providers, even in 2012, 13, when I, when I, when I joined or became certified by the American board of addiction medicine, the message at that time was harm reduction, yeah. you know, and it still is even more so for sure uh, that harm reduction is, is reliable. It saves lives. Um, and uh, there are people dying out there. It's getting worse all the time. And I, I could see the value in that, you know, I wanted to save lives, mm-hmm. but I had, I was, you know, at that point I was five or six years clean and loving recovery. And I felt like we were, there's, there's something missed. They were missing something there. They were letting go of the old recovery message a little too quickly. I agree. As I studied the topic, uh, I got, as I started to see what it really is like for people who who get into good buprenorphine programs. Yes. I, I let go of some of my, my assumptions, my prejudices that it was wrong. Yeah. Because they were just prejudices. They were assumptions. I, I agree. I had them too. on logic, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But then as I began to look at the evidence and really meet and interview and talk to patients, I realized there's some good here. This works. It does good things. But again, it's the uh, tendency we have sometimes to want a silver bullet that has created a little bit of the problem that we have with, with uh, the way addiction medicine is going. Uh, so, so I, you know, the, what I realized was over time, what I finally came to with lots of experience and experimentation was that harm reduction is a great way to take a person out of the, the most extremely dangerous, difficult place that opiate addiction in particular can take them to where their life's in jeopardy every single day. Mm-hmm. And it can it can put a stop to that right quick. And yeah. it the greatest thing about it is that it it attracts people who might not otherwise be ready to accept help because mm-hmm. it's it's easier. Yeah. It's 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 like uh, it's not totally easy. There's still a lot of people uh, yeah. out there who won't do it. They want to keep using, they want to keep getting high. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of addicts, you know, that time when it it stops being fun and it starts being painful. A lot of people stay in that phase for a long time. But that's what I see. I've seen that. And that's yeah. where that's where we come in, the therapists and the, and, the, and those who come in mm-hmm. and say, all right, so now physically, you know, you're, 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 you're weaning down. 
Let's find out the cause that, that's creating right. that addiction. And I, right. I love kind of like working with folks this way because I've noticed some trends. I've noticed people that typically are smoking the marijuana that are drinking, they're self-medicating right. depression. So let's start tackling that. Mm-hmm. I start seeing the people that are hitting the opiates and, and whatnot. I'm like, mm-hmm. you guys have legitimate pain, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, sure. something hurts. And so mm-hmm. that 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 component of like of like medical and therapeutic, you know, it works mm-hmm. really well. So I'm with you on nice. that. I've seen more yeah. people get on long term like 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 you know, bup and that kind of stuff and have success mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're they're dealing with their emotional issues, some of the components right. that created the addiction in the first place, overcoming some of the the emotional pain and stuff. Right. Uh, as they're winding down and I've seen some people after well, substantial use and and prescription be be at a point where they're like, I think I'm done now, and have weaned themselves yeah. off so yeah. much that they themselves choose mm-hmm. it, and that I think they is the most life. beautiful thing, because it's mm-hmm. they're choosing it, and I'm like, that is the coolest mm-hmm. thing, but that takes a lot of yeah, work, I, right? I, that's not just a magic bullet, right? It's not a quick and easy thing, and mm-hmm. that's one of the that's one of the most common messages that we have to convey to the patients we bring in because. Uh, in our clinic, although we treat all chemical dependencies, uh, and we we really do try to to share the entire message of recovery and talk about achieving self-sustaining, ongoing recovery for the rest of your life, the majority of our new patients come in seeking buprenorphine. Yeah, and so most of them, the message we have to share is, hey, this is going to help you get clean. It's going to get you out of danger. Mm-hmm. It's going to um, it's going to plug you in. Most importantly, it's going to plug you into treatment. It's going to yeah. give you the opportunity to participate in treatment. And that's the most valuable thing about buprenorphine is it's, yeah. it's going to help you. It's going to bring you to a place where you can start to talk about this, learn about this, start to do some counseling, do some therapy, start to participate in therapeutic activities, yeah. recovery activities. And that if you will do that for intensely enough for long enough, you'll get to a point where you're able to stop, to not even need the buprenorphine. You'll get to a point where you can, you can carry your recovery beyond buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, we'll, we'll be ready to help you. And we're gonna help you know when you're ready. Mm-hmm. That's not easy. No. Not gonna happen in a few months. It's no. gonna take time. Addiction's difficult, it's complicated. Absolutely. So it's gonna take time, but you can do it. And, and so we, we talk about, we, um, we think about harm reduction as a great way to keep people from dying, getting them engaged in treatment so that we can bring them the whole message and, and make it as easy for them as possible to, uh, to find full, you know, vibrant, self-sustaining, comprehensive, spiritually based, well-educated recovery. Absolutely. And and it's there. You're you're spot on. Listeners, I hope you're taking note to this because the one thing that I was like kind of thinking of when we started this conversation, this portion, is that the same thing could happen. The MAT listeners for medicated, medical assisted therapy, when this is what we're talking about, along with harm reduction, which means taking away some of the heavier substances and being able to reduce the harm by, by being more managed care through the medical system. The one thing I don't want you listeners to think is that, well, that's just another you know, Purdue Pharma type mindset. And it's not. There's a difference here is because now we start interjecting with, with some therapy, some counseling, some, as we call it on Team Addict Athletes, some erase and replace techniques where it's like mm-hmm. if we're erasing the addiction, we have to help you replace it with something of greater value so that you can start leaning on that instead of the substance. It's a whole comprehensive right. approach to this. It's not, a, yeah. it's not a just a, a, an old school therapy approach and it's not just a singularity of a medical approach. It's these things combined and then you integrate your family system, your sober support systems this, I think, is is not easy to achieve. But for those that truly adapt themselves to the whole the whole concept, there's success mm-hmm. there, doctor. I've seen it, and I know you have. Yeah. Like it, it can be yeah. overcome, and that's the one thing that I have a. I don't know. Words mean a lot to me, and and my thing is too that when we start doing this kind of approach, and we hit the bio, the psycho, the social, and the spiritual. Uh-huh. I'm a mm-hmm. firm believer. I know this is very controversial, but I'm going to tell you because I like I like the way your mind works. Healing can occur, and I'm right. saying it's not easy, but it can occur when these principles are are are, are you know inspired and, and worked upon and acted upon. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen healing in this, not just recovery, yeah. Yeah. and that's a that's a scary word mm-hmm. for people. 
but it mm-hmm. can happen. And I think that that's, you know, mm-hmm. to each their own. And you'll know it when you reach that destination. But I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, don't, this approach that you're talking about, mm-hmm. why is it still kind of, I don't know, why is it still kind of apprehensive for people to fully engage in it? Is it because maybe they only mm-hmm. want to take it so far? Maybe the therapeutic side's a little bit scary. Um, yeah. Where do you notice some of the barriers are with that? Yeah, it's there. There are there are lots of different barriers, and for for the majority of people out there with with addiction, uh, the fear is on the the this just the kind of the typical fear of recovery. The whole idea that hey, I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to use like this. I don't want to risk my life, but I don't really want to do all that work on myself. Yeah. I don't want to change my habits. I don't want to change the way I, I, I think and deal with my feelings. Um, that's too hard. It's too scary. So I want to come in and get off this drug and get on your medicine and, and I'll do whatever you say, but I don't want to get into all, you know, that's the majority. And that's the same story. It's always, always been ever since forever. So how do you feel about the other side of that coin? Because what I noticed too is that the other side is, yeah. Yeah. The, the other side is the uh, feeling that, hey, um, I don't trust the medical yeah, field. See? Because, I mean, look at what happened with the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Before that, there were doctors who thought Valium was the cure for alcohol addiction. They, they thought stimulants were the cure for opiate addiction. There was, there was a lot of medical you know, tomfoolery mm-hmm. going on over the decades, trying to come up with a quick and easy cure. Medicine, Western medicine, tends to look for the pill or the surgery that fixes it mm-hmm. when addiction is way too complicated for that. And yeah. so there's good reason to not trust doctors. And there's some, something built into the AA, you know, philosophy that doctors, you know, yeah. you can't totally trust them. You gotta, you gotta look out for yourself, which is kind of true. However, yeah. however, uh, what we try to share with our, our uh, more recovery-oriented potential clients, mm-hmm. there's a lot out there, because mm-hmm. as everyone out there listening knows, if you are working on your recovery, most of you know that recovery, the recovery process is difficult. It yeah. takes time. Most of us relapse. Mm-hmm. Most of us relapse many times. Mm-hmm. Um, we struggle. It's difficult. Some, mo- a lot, don't make it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they may have had great clean time. They may have been really involved in recovery, but they go back out and they never come back. It's tough. It's difficult. And um, and so for those who are suffering and having a difficult time, and it's just not quite working, being open to the idea that hey, remember this is a disease. Addiction is a disease. It has a biological basis. Mm-hmm. And we're learning more and more about it. We're starting to understand how the brain works and how the brain does not work in addiction. And uh, and as time goes by, we'll be able to more and more treat it you know, scientifically with, with tools that are like the tools we have with MIT. Mm. And, and so helping those folks to... Uh, to begin to see that, hey, you know, medicine is not always wrong. Sometimes it can really, mm-hmm. really help. Um, and and to try to take more of a what what I have what I went through in my process of coming to accept MAT as a really good tool, it, it was just sort of my it's sort of my medical training kicking in. Mm-hmm. Where in medicine, we just like in every discipline of science, we're we're heavily trained to think scientifically. In yeah. other words, look at the evidence. Right. Don't don't make your decisions just based on logic or philosophy or uh, belief. You know, look yeah. at the evidence. Look at what actually happens. And so, as I began to do that, that was what led me to finally ha- have to question my assumptions and then begin to accept reality that that what I thought buprenorphine would do to people is not necessarily true, and that mm-hmm. for a lot of them, you know. It's it really really works, and I think a lot of people in the recovery community, if they can get past that knee jerk reaction that hey medicine's bad, doctors are bad, any drug that's like buprenorphine that can possibly be abused should never be taken by anybody with the disease of addiction. Um, they can get past that, yeah. that just that knee jerk reaction. Look at the evidence. Maybe look at what it's like for people. 
in treatment with MAT if they're doing their program right. Yeah. That that it actually really works, and those people yeah. they don't seem any different from the uh, the totally abstinent person you might meet early in recovery at a meeting. You Absolutely. can't tell. You, you can't I, I, tell. I had a conversation with a new therapist I hired once at our practice mm-hmm. who had mostly worked in traditional addiction treatment centers, and he yeah. asked me, you know, can I am I going to be able to do therapy with people on buprenorphine? What, are they capable of changing? Can they? Can they feel their feelings? You know, oh, will man. they? And I promise them to try it out. I promise you, you won't be able to tell who's on buprenorphine and who's not. And, mm-hmm. you know, months later, he came back and said, you were, you were right. I, I can't tell. You can't. You can't. But how do you clear that barrier then, too, with, with, the, with the patients, the clients themselves who, who have that old traditional mindset of, like, nothing, abstinence only? But then you're like, well, you know, there are medications out there, but then they refuse to, to look at any medication. And it's like, I've, I've worked mm-hmm. with so many people that are like, I don't want to take anything, but I'm like, yeah, but you keep relapsing on alcohol. Right. So I know your depression is yeah. still very much a part of your, of your life. So mm-hmm. let's look at this. Like, no, I can't. How do you, yeah. how do we help people that are like yeah. anti-medication, but like very pro say like marijuana and or alcohol and or opiates? Does it make sense? Like. It's a funny, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a funny like hill to try and like you know stake your, your battle on, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I have a lot of sympathy for those folks Absolutely. because I, I had those same feelings, yeah. at, you know, at a particular time. Um, and and usually what works is a combination of of validating the truth in what they're saying. You know, mm-hmm. the the base the basic kind of hey, I understand where that's coming from. There's truth in that. There's, it's good that you're worried. It's good that you're thinking that way, and I appreciate it. Um, but then also really appealing to the, uh, number one, the truth that things aren't usually, you know, things aren't going well for you, and that it would be wrong to keep trying the same approach, expecting some different result. Exactly. That's, that's, that's AA, AA 101, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so trying to talk in those those AA traditional terms to help them see that, you know, AA was was never meant to be the final answer for everybody in every way, for every case. And it really never said that there's never going to be a medicine that helps people. It's it's not that's yeah. not it's not part of the tradition. But then, you know, even beyond that, this is where I think um I've, you know, you notice that I'm a physician and I talk openly about my recovery. I love it. And this I'm quite blown this, away by it, Doc. I'll tell you the truth. I'm like, this, wow, this is, thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I do it because it helps. I mm-hmm. do it. I knew it helped me. And so I found that it helps my patients. And it's at times like this that it really helps to tell them my own story and how I had so much help, so much support. And um, I dove right into the 12 step process, but it was still really hard for me. Yeah. It was hard to get it right. It took years for me to really get it. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're honest, most of us have to admit that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's hard. It's, there's no shame in that, that it's difficult. Yeah. And if there's a way to make it a little easier to keep you plugged in, mm-hmm. you know, to keep you away from that next relapse, you should consider it. Consider you know, it. It's, I love yeah, it. It might shorten the time. It's not going to bring you recovery. We know that. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. You know, recovery is a just like what we've talked about before. It's a holistic, comprehensive change of you know habits and approach and thinking and all that. Mm-hmm. But it might protect you. You know, it might it might keep you plugged in, and in the end, it might shorten the amount of time that it takes for you to get where you need to be to stay deeply embedded in recovery and, and find healing, like you See? said, to heal. See, and that's the key Thanks, here. And, and I'm so glad you said that because right now, as we talked before we started recording, you know, the, the, the national overdose rate has, I mean, has increased like beyond mm-hmm. anyone's expectation. We're talking over 100,000 yeah. people now passing away from overdose every year. That's like, you know, it's like 255 people a day. So I always yeah. talk to my athletes. I'm like, you guys, look, we've got to look at what's going on and where's the, where's the, where's the approach to really find out and dissect what's going on? Because that's like a 747 crashing every day. And you know, yeah. if a plane crashes, they put together every piece, they find every scrap, they assemble that thing, they put it back together, they find the exact wire that was crossed, the, the bolt that was loose, and they identify the problem yet. You see it. You've had patients past. I've had lots of athletes that have passed due to this this, this disease. 
And I'm like, Mm -hmm. why are we not dissecting and getting into the core of what this Mm -hmm. is? Because literally 255 a day, that's a lot of people. But you know, it's not as sexy as that. So it's like, we, what are we doing, right? As we start peeling mm-hmm. back the layers here, um, and I'm a firm believer that it's like, it's, it's deeper than a lot of this other stuff. It's like, we have to take like a whole kind of like, 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 like micro kind of approach to this too. What do you see just in your own practice, in your own community, that is some of the cause behind some of this? Is it poverty? Is mm-hmm. it mental health? Is it a combination of all that? Access to care. As we start maybe like putting this plane back together that's crashing daily, mm-hmm. what are some of the trends and some of the commonalities mm-hmm. that you're seeing that are almost almost standard mm-hmm. issue with patients that you see? Yeah, yeah, that's a great it's a deep question. question. It's a hard one, I know. It's a good one, though, and it's one that anybody who wants to try to get involved with this has to think about yeah. and, and see, you know, you can picture a doctor like me trying to find my way into this field while that number is climbing, climbing, yes. climbing every year. And I remember 2014 to 16 was a particularly vicious, terrible time where it almost doubled, the number doubled. When we first started noticing, I first started noticing at that time and I said, hey, there are 144 people every day dying. And we started this for the 144. Now we're at 255 in in, in 2022. It's getting worse. You're right. So we've got to do something. You know, there's it's it's an emergency. We've got to we've got to ask ourselves, what is not what are we doing wrong here that this keeps getting worse? What are we not doing? Mm -hmm. We've got to have to do things differently. And as I looked really closely at, at the field, mm-hmm. at the professional field of addiction treatment and the amateur field, you know, and the peer-based, yeah. community-based recovery, what I saw was a lot of good people doing a lot of good things, but a system that was not adequate to the problem. It oh. was not big enough. It was not organized enough. Um, it wasn't using all the tools everywhere. Yeah. Uh, they weren't available enough to enough people. There's too much stigma. It was too much, uh, like I started out talking about, too much of a, a separate part of healthcare. Spot on. Um, a problem that is not, it's not part of the healthcare question in America. At least at that time, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the solution was to, um, to number one, try to make treatment more accessible so we could get more people engaged sooner. Right. Figure out how can we do that. How can we make it so that people can uh, find treatment, can feel comfortable with the idea of treatment, can 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 be far enough along in their the process of healing to at least make the phone call and show up for that first appointment? Mm. How can we make that easier? We've got to make it easier. We've got to make it um, more like other problems where people aren't so afraid to come forward and say, Hey, I got a problem with this. Let me get your input on that. Let me get your input. That was number one. Yeah. Got to make it easier on that note. Okay. Cause Marissa and I, we, we were, we were co-owners of a, of a residential treatment center and doctor, I saw the ugly side of that industry and I'm, and we, when, when we separated in part of ways, I'm like, never again. And I think, mm-hmm. listeners, I, I hope you heard what, what Dr. Thompson just said. The access to care that he's talking about isn't these multi-million dollar treatment centers. And I'm talking about no one, no one can afford these things. I, mm-hmm. There's not enough regulation either for you know, patient brokering and all this creepy stuff that goes on. Yeah. And so when he's talking about access to care, he's not talking about calling 1-800-REHAB, right? He's talking about right, exactly. do your research. They're out there. And, and I'm hoping that with some change in policy and stuff, that can become maybe you know, goal number one, the access to treatment. Because, mm-hmm. man, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a cutthroat, dirty industry. There's a, good, there's a lot it of good is. ones out there. I'm not going to blanket sure. statement. But man, oh man, some of these fly by night. There's been so many here in Utah that I've been doing research on that I found don't even have licensed clinicians. And I'm like, yeah. how in the world are you guys operating? You know, and I'm like, they have a doctor and the poor guy's got like 12 you know, treatment centers under his belt. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, covering all those patients. So you're spot yeah. on when you say access to treatment. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? And, we need right, to provide more. From people who who really uh, know what they're doing mm-hmm. and are going to give you an unbiased 
you know, like, like we hope the rest of medicine is done, the rest of healthcare is done. It's supposed to be kind of a standard knowledge base that you're supposed to be able to feel like, hey, if I call up this kind of expert, they're going to tell me, here's all the things that work for your disease. Here's what your disease you've got. Here's what the treatments are. Here's what I recommend. And here's how we can give it to you. And, and addiction, I felt like needed to be a little bit more like that. Yeah. That is a long way to go right. to, to make that possible. And one of the things that we were able to do, some of it had to do with the, in, the insurance, the Medicaid system here in mm-hmm. Virginia, and then the private insurance system that kind of followed behind, yeah. was that we were able to, to bring in all the different disciplines, all the different approaches to addiction treatment and make them part of our program. So our patients could come, it was easy to come in and talk with us, and then they could have access to all the tools that we know were mm-hmm. all the same place at the same time. But but I think that there's even more that we can do uh, in that field and, and with things like your program, where I want to be able to, uh, to find more ways to help because the hardest thing when you do widen the net and you start mm-hmm. to bring in more people who are maybe a little less prepared, yeah. they've been they're less motivated. They've they're they're kind of coming in because they want the medicine to help them get better right away. You, you what you find is you've got a real challenge with getting those folks um, motivated, getting them inspired. Yeah. To to realize, hey, recovery is a real thing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's better than even what you've got here, and you can have it. You can find it. And there's a lot of different ways to to get to get it. There's mm-hmm. some common things that always have to be there, but but you can find it through lots of different pathways. And I yeah. think that like the the you know physical training, physical fitness pathway is 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 great for a lot of people. And so I'd love to see um, programs like yours mm-hmm. become sort of part of the prescription list for addiction providers to be able to say. I think you should you should check this out. You should do this, and yeah. and this will really really help you. Yeah. Um, but that's right. that's what we need. We need a system where everything's connected. It's easy to find all these good tools that work and have evidence behind them. And there's tons of evidence to support physical training for for recovery. Well, tons. and that's what I love about it too. And and it kind of blows me away to hear you say that too because it's. Um, it's still a thing now. Now, listeners are going to pick up on this, Dr. Thompson, and, and I'm, I'm so glad because with you, I don't feel or hear the ego. And and, and I love that about you. And, and I can I can feel your energy. It's like you're the kind of guy who's like, hey, look, there's a there's a multitude of paths we can take. You know, you're not saying my way or the, or, or the highway. Right. And that, I think, in and of itself gives you an advantage to be able to connect with these people that say, oh, wait a minute, it, it can still be my choice. I think it seems like you've learned that if you tell someone what to do, they're going to tell you to kick rocks. But if you invite right. people to have some options here, that's what that's where the success is. They still have some locus of control of their outcome. And that's what we do yeah. on the team. It's like we do we do tons more than just athletics, right? There's service. There's there's an artistic approach. Right. There's all kinds of other things because not one size doesn't just fit all. Um, that's got to be a little bit of a blessing and sometimes maybe even a curse to to getting yourself, I guess, feeling okay to engage because some people want the choice. Some people need to be kind of, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. told what to do, but like they, they need the instruction because they're like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I love that approach. And so you've taken that yourself. You've seen it with, with, with the people that you're working with. How important Mm -hmm. is it for you to really spend the quality time? And that's got to be the hardest, it is the hardest thing for me to spend mm-hmm. adequate time with each person to know that, that they, they mean something. They're not just a checklist. It's not just a, okay, yeah. you know, g- give us those, those, uh, those Jayco requirement questions and then out you go. Right, it's right. How, right. Mu- how much time does this really yeah. take, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you only are one yeah. person. It's difficult, isn't it? Right, right, right. And, and thankfully, I have a big team. You know, and we, use, we use therapists of, at all levels of uh, certification, uh, we use tons of peers. We really believe in peers, and we always have. Um, and uh, you know, we we're, we really work together as a team because there's that, that there's no way I don't have enough time mm-hmm. to to spend with people as much give them what they need. I rely on my team to help me make it make it happen. And um, and and people are different. You're right. They 
some really want to be told what to do. They want a clear pathway. They want me to say, this is the way for you. Yeah. And, and part of the challenge for me and for my staff is to learn how do you figure out, you know, what's going to work for a person. But, yeah. but our attitude is let's do whatever works. Let's mm-hmm. do whatever works for this person. And if it's not working, let's look at it and ask ourselves why, and let's try something different. Let's let's just. Jeez, you are spot on. Results, you know? you know this this time, doc, is going by way too fast. But I have a real critical question I need you to answer with me, okay. and that is, that is, okay, you've got the person in treatment. Okay, you've got that person they're going through, and, and I, I, we were talking about this briefly at the beginning. There's another component to this, which is their family system, right? And and what mm. I've noticed is there's times when people want you know families see see their their spouse, maybe their husband who has an addiction, like you need to go get treatment you get your help right well he does and he comes back and they're glad that he's not using but now all of a sudden he's different and they're like wait a minute i didn't mm-hmm. want you to change your attitude your mindsets and everything else i just right. wanted you to stop using and i'm why, like why on, do you have to go to these meetings exactly <laughs> on team medic athlete we talk about building your home team and your home court advantage is your home for those that are listening that have a loved one we have a lot of we call them the muggles the non-using folks right we have a lot yeah. of muggles that listen to this um, what do good. they need to know about how to engage themselves? Because I'll, I mean, I'll talk very openly with you. There are old traditions and systems that I'm not really keen with, and I'm not going to badmouth them, but things like Al-Anon and things that like really kind of make it a little bit more of aggressive approach. I've noticed doesn't work on my team. I bring both of mm-hmm. them together so that the non-using folk can learn from the using people and vice versa. Mm-hmm. What are the family systems, the spouses, the loved ones, what do they need to know when their loved one gets into a situation like MAT, um, you know, uh, a therapeutic interventions? Um, yeah. What should they be thinking of, be aware of? Where do they go for information, so on and so forth? Yeah, and there's... Just like just like there's there are a lot of different organizations in for the recovering person, not just AA. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different organizations for families, um, and and we we try to we realized it early on that just like the best residential programs, we needed to we needed to approach our, the families of our patients directly. We needed yeah. to offer them help too, and uh, so we try to expose our uh, our, our willing family members to multiple different support organizations. We mm-hmm. host a few different <clears throat> families. Um, we don't, we don't have anything against Al-Anon, but we don't particularly have a, uh, an Al-Anon group that's closely associated with us, but mm-hmm. you know, families in recovery is one that we, we work closely mm-hmm. with. Um, and, and we have educational seminars to help people, um, help the families of our patients learn about addiction yeah because i think it starts with understanding what what you're dealing with number one yes what is addiction how does it happen what was your part in it because that's the first thing everybody wants to know is this my fault that mm-hmm. i do something wrong to make mm-hmm. this happen um and then we talk about how healing happens and what goes into it the process that a person has to go through so that a family member knows Number one, that although there are things they can do to help, um, that really ultimately it's going to be a journey for that person. You know, they need support, they need encouragement to keep keep uh, engaging and keep doing their therapeutic activities. But you you don't need to think you have to fix them, and yeah. uh, and you can't you can't get too impatient thinking that they can be quickly fixed either. Yeah. Um, and so we, we really just in trying to encourage our patients to involve their families and then keeping an open door to those families to help them understand the, um, you know, the, the science behind addiction, what other people Beautiful. who have gone through it have to say, what other families who have gone through it have to say. Um, we bring in a lot of times uh, other folks in the area who have created their own programs to Beautiful. support families just based on their own ex- you know, experiences. Some are authors, some are, mm. are program leaders to kind of tell their stories and share their ideas. Mm. Um, and so just the, just the, um, just kind of being a source of connection and information is, is what we find that we that's the best thing we can do. Yeah, I uh, love it. I, I love it because what you're saying is 
immerse yourself in in what's available. Get to gain the knowledge because, mm-hmm. again, most people that I've worked with are like, my husband's an addict. You take care of him. I'm like, you got to right, come with right. him. And, and so yeah. I was working with a, a, a gentleman you know, this last couple of weeks, and he's had some pretty heavy PTSD. And you know, we're doing some EMDR mm-hmm. with him and stuff. And his, his his spouse is having a real hard time wrapping their head around why they need to know about this. Well, well, he's the mm-hmm. one with the problem. I'm like. Okay, but you've yeah. got to know when you see this stuff, this is what it is. It's not a personal attack on you. This is him going inward. And and I, I'm just really yeah. kind of blown away by the fact that, that she's just like, I don't think I have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's yeah, part often, of the problem. You know, yeah. Right. That's part of the problem. And oftentimes that's a sign of sign of uh, problem with that person. Yes. You know, that family member has something that they don't want to touch that makes them nervous about talking about their loved ones. hundred percent. And so we, we, you know, we encourage people to find their own recovery. Yeah, uh, It's one thing that, that we, uh, we say, Hey, take care of yourself. You know, yeah. it's okay for you to get help too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that should. same, that same client, you know, a week later, they're in family therapy with me and, and they have this epiphany. She's like, okay, no, wait a minute. So you're, your drinking is like me going to sugar. Dun, da, da, da. Yes, it is. It's the same thing. Hey, and go. so, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's immersing yourself with that and, and gaining the knowledge. I'm so, uh, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, those who have family members that struggle, um, yeah. you get to become an expert too. And, and mm-hmm. not just to, to coddle or to codependency, this thing into submission, but so that mm-hmm. you understand what you're seeing and what you're feeling, right? Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, as we talk about this, I realize that I owe a lot in our family program to the folks who have come to us as family members of addicts, because I don't quite know what that's like. Yeah. And some of our, some of my staff do, mm-hmm. they know both sides, but I really rely on folks who have been through the uh, married to parent of sibling of partner of someone with addiction getting those folks in in there getting them involved so that they can help the family members of our patients is oh, it's been a key. good thing it's key yeah. you know it's I, I i cannot believe how fast this time goes dr thompson yeah. is there is there anything you have social media and websites that if people want to know more about your program about you if they're in the area or even yeah, def- you know want to learn more definitely look us up yeah. um we're mastercenter.com it's just spelled just like you would imagine mastercenter.com it's the, the program's named after my mentor, Sherman Master. Beautiful. So I have a pioneering addiction medicine psychiatrist here in, in the Richmond area. But if you find cool. our website, you can find links to our all of our social media. And um, awesome. we'd love to have you check us out and send us questions, comments. We do we do some you know, some some uh, webcasting and things and join one of our programs and yeah i really appreciate being on yours no i appreciate it and i I love i love your philosophy um i like i was telling marissa i'm like i'm so i'm so happy that he agreed to be on here because you do have a very unique i i guess understanding you know personal experience and then professional Mm -hmm. Uh, that is when i think the beauty truly happens so listeners you've been well fed that's that's the key here i think that you know if you've had questions about mat here's some here's a little bit of information reach out let's get you guys some help don't hesitate to reach out to dr thompson don't hesitate to reach out to us here at team addict athlete i want to thank all of you for listening and i want to thank radio ronin and the radio ronin network for hosting team addict athletes podcast through the radio ronin nation and athletes until next time please go turn that mess into a message 